Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Churches podcast, where we are committed to building irresistible bridges between the unchurched and Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're here and wherever you're listening from, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Hey everyone. If you're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or any other social media platforms, please give us a like and follow on our page at Bridge Churches to stay up to date and what's happening in and around our church. Thank you so much for joining us today. Let's jump right in. I'm gonna jump in though uh, to part two uh, today, All I Want for Christmas. And though my... <laughs> Though my list doesn't come anywhere close to Hannah's list, okay, her, you know, just went, seemed to go on forever. I bet we had given her five minutes, she'd still be going. Um, but, but she has an incredible list. Mine is actually really, really small. In fact, there's really only one thing that I want for Christmas. And the reason I want this for Christmas is because I need it this Christmas. I shared with you what that thing was last week. Uh, if you missed last week, it's really simple. But what I want actually speaks to the heart of what Christmas is all about. It's one word, and it's the word grace. The word grace. Grace is, and if, if you're new today or, or maybe you missed last week for one reason or another, it's likely that you know what grace is. But just in case you never thought of like the definition of grace, last week I kind of gave you a working definition that we're gonna use throughout the series. And basically what we said is that grace is undeserved, it's unearned, unearnable favor. Grace is someone leaning in your direction when they would be justified to lean away. Grace is what you get. It's different than mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Grace is, is this thing that you get when, when, when somebody leans in, when, when somebody accepts you or treats you in such a way that you, that you don't deserve. It's not based on anything that you've done. In fact, it's oftentimes in spite of everything that you've done. And regardless of whether or not your Christmas list is as long as Hannah's or as short as mine, whatever you do or don't believe, whether you would say you've been a Christian most of, if not all your life, or whether you're kind of clueless to Christianity, and maybe this is your first time in a church, maybe if not ever, maybe like in a long, long time, here's the thing today, whether you're obviously in the room or whether you're at home, here's the thing this Christmas that we all have in common. Grace is what we crave most. It's what you and I crave most when our guilt is exposed. Grace is what you crave in that moment when you've hurt somebody that you love. Grace is what you crave when you've hurt or offended someone that you need. It's in that moment, you crave grace because you know that you can't undo what you've done and you know that you can't change the past. And so you crave grace. You want someone to accept you. You want someone to feel about you. You want someone to treat you or see you in a way that's as if whatever you did, whatever you've done, it's almost as if it never happened. You want grace, you, you crave grace in those moments. You hope that they will accept you. And again, it's not because of anything you've done. It's in fact, in spite of everything that you've done. Grace is what we crave most when our guilt is exposed. And here's the other side of this. And this, we talked a little bit about last week, but this is where the tension comes. This is where grace gets difficult. While it's what we crave most when our guilt is exposed, grace is the very thing that we're hesitant to extend when confronted with the guilt of other people. It's hard to let go of what you deserve in order to give to somebody else exactly what they don't deserve. And you know this, especially at Christmas, because there are people in your family, there are people that you would say you love, but the truth is they're difficult to be around, that you're already dreading and stressing the Christmas season because you're like, oh, I gotta be with those people that I net throughout the year don't have to be around, that because they've done or not done certain things, they're just hard to be around, let alone thinking about extending grace to them. But you know in your heart that you need to extend grace to them. 
But it's hard, isn't it? It's difficult. Why? Because many of them, they conduct themselves, they carry themselves in such a way, it's almost as if they feel or act like they're deserving of the grace that you're giving them. Or maybe worse yet, sometimes they're actually clueless or naive to the fact that they need you to extend grace to them. And that's a little insulting and infuriating, isn't it? It's insulting to have to give something to somebody that they don't even know or think that they need, but you know they need it. Grace is what we all want, but it's the thing that we hope that nobody asks us for. And the other interesting kind of mysterious thing about grace, there's a sense in which grace doesn't even exist until it's experienced. Until grace is experienced, it's just a word, isn't it? And until grace is experienced, there's no emotion to it. There's no story to tell until grace is experienced. And here's the thing, you can only experience grace in order to experience grace. Grace requires a relationship, that if, where there is no relationship, there can be no transfer, there can be no experience of grace. And this is why, as we talked about last week, and this is so important, this is why God had to show up among us as one of us. This is why God had to show up on this first Christmas. This is so important. This is so powerful. We would not have known the grace of God without the presence of God. Without the presence of God, grace is just an abstract idea. It's just a word. But because he is Emmanuel, God with us, we have the opportunity because of God's presence to experience God's grace. And this is why what John, the gospel writer John, in the gospel of John, this is why we talked about this last week, this is why what he wrote is so important theologically, but why it's so powerful personally. John was an old man and with hindsight looking back, he was thinking about his time and thinking about him, his time with Jesus. He had seen Jesus with his own eyes, heard Jesus speak with his own ears. And then as an old man with hindsight looking back, he feels this, this weight or this sense of responsibility. And he's thinking, the world needs to know about the Jesus I knew. And so as an old man, he sits down and he's thinking, where do I begin? How do I start? How do I help people see what they didn't see? what I saw. And so he begins to write and he puts it this way. He says, the word, now he doesn't use the word God. Instead of using the word God, he reaches into this Greek idea and he, he begins and he says, the word, which is translated logos, it means everything that was, everything in the beginning, everything that existed, everything that's important, all the information in the beginning was the word. And the word, he says, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, I'm sure that John wrestled with this. He's probably thinking like, people are gonna struggle with this. I struggle with this, he would say. And he's like, how do I help them understand? Like, how did God do this? How did God squeeze himself into a body? Like, how did, how did this whole thing happen? How did God become flesh and make his dwelling among us? And John would say, I, I don't really know how to explain it. All I can tell you is that after everything I've seen and after everything I've heard, I am convinced that Jesus was God in a body that the, whole, the spirit of God inhabited a body and made his dwelling among us. Don't ask me to explain it. I'm just telling you, this is what I've experienced. And you know exactly, you can relate to John's dilemma because you've had experiences in your life that you've tried to explain and express to people who didn't experience it. And it's difficult, right? It's hard to get somebody to see what you saw. And this is John's dilemma. In fact, he says, we have seen, we didn't hear about this. We didn't read about this, right? We didn't go to church and hear some guy blab about it. Like we, we've seen with our own eyes, um, keep going. Actually, go back. Yeah, sorry, Eli. We have seen his glory. He says, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. And this is the big part, full of grace and full of truth. 
that, that John writes and he says, after everything I've seen and after everything I've heard, I am convinced, I can conclude that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. He wasn't the balance of grace and truth. He was the full embodiment of both grace and truth. John would say that Jesus was all grace, all truth, all the time. And the thing that made Jesus such a confusing and contrasting figure in his culture was the way that he could live and the way he did live out this grace and this truth. That Jesus had this unique, he had this unique and incredible ability to express truth and at the same time extend grace. And because of this ability, people came from far and wide just to see Jesus. For example, one day, Jesus and his friends, they were traveling through the city of of Jericho. In fact, the text tells us, better yet, Luke tells us, Luke, who was a a gospel writer, who in his own words said that he thoroughly investigated all these things. He interviewed eyewitnesses, which is why there's, there's so many details in the gospel of Luke, because he wanted to give us an orderly account, he says. So he interviewed people that were there. There's all kinds of names, all kinds of places, all kinds of different details. And Luke says, hey, listen, here's what he begins in Luke chapter 19. He says, Jesus entered Jericho. Jericho and was just passing through. He was just passing through, wasn't planning to stay, wasn't planning to stop for lunch, wasn't planning on spending the night. He was just passing through and a man was there, he goes on to say. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And the reason he was wealthy was because he was a chief tax collector. And what that means is that Zacchaeus went to Rome. He went to an official of Rome, likely a governor, and he purchased the rights to collect taxes. And so essentially Zacchaeus, he had kind of a pyramid scheme thing going on. He hired other tax collectors who then hired other tax collectors. They were called tax farmers. And they would set up shop at all kinds of different places, port cities and crossroads. And they would collect all kinds of different taxes and it all funneled up to Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus was really, 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 really wealthy because Rome, as long as Rome got what Rome wanted, like Rome didn't care about what kind of surcharge or what kind of extra taxes these tax collectors took as long as Rome got what Rome wanted. So again, Zacchaeus was wealthy and Zacchaeus was hated, right? Everybody in the community knew who Zacchaeus was and everybody hated him. And Luke, he goes on to tell us because he investigated all these things. He interviewed people that were there. He could have interviewed Zacchaeus for all we know. We don't know that. But he interviewed all kinds of different people and he tells us that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He tells it this way. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So, so he, wanted, he didn't want to meet Jesus. The chances of that were slim to none to begin with. But he was, well, Zacchaeus was like most people in that day. In fact, like a lot of people today, uh, maybe like you, maybe the reason you're here right now or you've logged online or you're listening later, you're listening to one of these, like the reason is, is because like Zacchaeus, you're curious. Like there's just curiosity in you. Who is this Jesus guy? What is he about? What is going on? So he was curious. So That's what happens. And Jesus was passing through. And so Luke goes on to tell us, he ran ahead, Zacchaeus ran ahead of Jesus and his posse and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now, uh, how do I say this? Um, Climbing a tree is a young boy's game, okay? Like the older I get, like the thought of a grown man climbing a tree is well, a little awkward. A grown man climbing a tree in what they wore in those days is really awkward. The point is Zacchaeus is desperate. He desperately wants to see Jesus. He knows where the parade is headed. So he runs ahead of the parade and he climbs up this tree. 
And when Jesus reached this spot where Zacchaeus anticipated he would go, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, which is weird. How did he know his name? That's a whole other story and sermon for another day. Um, Mental note. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Now, here's what I think happened. The text doesn't say this. Luke doesn't tell us this. Um, but here's what I think happens. So the parade is coming through and, and, and Jesus is you know, leading the parade. Everybody's kind of watching, following, following, following. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops. So everybody stops. And he turns and he looks and there's a grown man in a tree. And he says, come down here immediately. And I think the whole crowd went silent like this one. Everybody just went quiet because here's what they're thinking. Finally, 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 somebody's going to call this guy out. Finally, somebody's going to face this guy down. Finally, someone, there's someone who's not intimidated by this guy and he is going to get exactly what he deserves. This is it. They're so excited. The crowd is silent and I think they started to spread out and they formed a circle and Jesus is standing there looking at Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus is about to live out the most awkward moment of his life. The whole town is watching while this guy climbs down a tree and he, he comes down, he gets closer to the ground. They're thinking, this is it. And Zacchaeus gets down and he starts walking toward Jesus and then the whole crowd is silent and then the whole crowd is stunned when Jesus says, I must stay at your house today and the disciples are like come on what are you kidding me we're just passing Jesus are you listening to your own story we're just passing through we didn't come here to stay we don't want to stay here we're not stopping and now you're stopping to talk to a guy like this and to make matters worse you want to stay at his house the disciples are groaning and don't miss this Matthew is a disciple Now, if you missed last week, that isn't going to land where it should. But for those of you that were here, so go back and listen to last week. But for those of you that were here last week, Matthew was once a tax collector, just like Zacchaeus. And if you remember back to last week, when Jesus walked up to Matthew and said, follow me, the disciples in that moment were like, are you kidding me? We're going to, you're going to extend an invitation to a guy like that. And now Matthew is one of those guys. And then he's looking at Zacchaeus saying, are you kidding me? Are we really going to do this? Grace is what we want when it's us. But it can be a hard thing to give to someone else when it's not us. And the reason that I know Matthew felt that way is because Luke interviewed the people that were there that day. And he said, all the people, which would include the disciples, all the people that were there at the parade saw this and they began to mutter, which is a weird word that we don't use anymore. But they began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner and all the people that were there, all the crowd, everybody that was lined up at the parade, they're thinking, are you kidding me? Is this how this thing works? What's happening here? This is so weird. This is so backwards. This is so, so messed up. I mean, we got here first. We got here early. We, we got to the curb, the edge of the curb at the parade, right? Like we, we, we didn't have to push through the crowd. We got up early. We got our kids up early. We got everybody dressed and we got down here ready for the parade, right? Like, like we got posters made up. We yelled, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. And then we pointed to the other side of the road. How about you? Like we got the chant. We got the song. That's a weird thing church people do. Uh, sorry. But we do that. Like we got the songs. We got the t-shirts printed up. Like we are Jesus 
fans, and now this enemy of the state, this outcast of society who has ripped us all off, gets to meet Jesus. And more than that, he's been in, like, inviting, he's going to have a meal with Jesus. I mean, to the people that were there in this moment, this is so confusing. For us today, it's a cute kid's story. Like my son Parker, he loves this story. He loves it so much. It's a cute kid's song, right? Zacchaeus was a... Yeah, you could never write that lyric today. But the point is, it's a cute story. It's a cute kid's song. But to the people standing there in this moment, this is so backwards. This is so confusing. This is so upside down. And the reason it was so confusing to them then is the reason why it's so confusing for us today. And the reason is we don't understand God. We don't really understand his kingdom. We don't understand his nature. We don't understand God's economy. We don't understand the way God views the world. Why? Because let's be honest, you don't understand how God sees you, do you? I don't understand really how God sees me. We don't get it. They didn't get it. So over and over again, in the form of parables, Jesus tried to explain this upside down kingdom that he had come to inaugurate this brand new set of ethics, this new code of operation, this new way of living and seeing the world. One day in front of another crowd, Jesus said, listen, let me try to explain it to you this way. For the kingdom of heaven is like, which meant he was about to tell a fictitious story to make a true point. These, are called, these stories are called parables. They're made up stories. They're stories that Jesus would use and he would leverage things that people could see and understand to explain to them things that they could not see and could not understand. So Jesus one day says, hey, I'm gonna tell you this story. And the disciples in this moment are a little like, they're a little conflicted because on the one hand, it's like, okay, here's another story that we don't understand, but yet they're always interesting. You know, on one hand, it's like, here's a story that's gonna leave us scratching our heads and confused. Why won't he just answer a question directly? But on the other hand, who doesn't love a great story, right? They're kind of conflicted in this moment. And Jesus says, listen, let me try to explain to you what the kingdom of heaven, what the kingdom of God is like. Like, let me try to explain to you this kingdom that you have been invited into, this new way of life that you have been invited to live in and, and live out. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a wealthy landowner, a rich guy who went out early in the morning around 6 a.m. to hire workers for his vineyard. Now, the disciple, the people listening, the audience, they would have known because they would understand this, that a landowner like this would typically, um, that, that he would go into the town square where all the day laborers gathered, uh, hoping to be chosen so that they would have a job for the day. And a landowner like this would typically hire everybody needed for the day all at once. And the landowner, they would know, the landowner's primary concern was getting the work done, not the ones who did the work, okay? Don't miss that. The landowner's primary concern was getting the job done, not the ones who did the work. Now, as was to be expected, he goes on and he says he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day. Now, a denarius was an average um, wage for a day labor in those days. In our economy, it's about 20 cents. So talk about your dollar not doing good, but he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and he sent them into his vineyard. So Jesus is telling this to this fictitious landowner, goes into the marketplace and he sees all these people gathered and he says, okay, uh, the wage for the day, day is a denarius. You, 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 and you, and you, uh, you're hired, come and, and work for me in my vineyard. Now, about three hours later, uh, about uh, nine o'clock, Nine in the morning, he went out, uh, meaning the landowner, and he saw others standing uh, in the marketplace doing 
nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. Like we'll settle up at the end of the day. So they went. Now, some of you have heard this story and some of you haven't. And if you know this story, you know where it's going and where it's going is so upside down. It's so backwards. It's so confusing. And the reason it's so confusing is because a landowner would never do this. Like you've got this fictitious landowner who owns this fictitious vineyard who hires a bunch of fictitious workers for the day, but then for some reason he goes back in and he hires a bunch of other people. And this continues on. The story goes on, Jesus tells. He says he went out again about noon. So now it's lunchtime and he goes back into the marketplace and he sees a whole bunch of other people standing there doing nothing. He says, hey, you guys come on along with me and you work for me too. And then he goes out in the afternoon around three o'clock and he does the same thing. Now, Jesus, one of the things that he would often do in these kind of moments is he would take things to the extreme. And the reason he would take things to the extreme is because as a storyteller, the brilliant storyteller that he was, taking things to the extreme would cause people to lean in instead of get bored. And they would lean in and they would be thinking, where in the world is this going? Like what in the world is happening in this moment? That's what they're thinking in this moment when what they should have been thinking is because the, the parable that Jesus told, there was always somebody in the story who represented God and there's always somebody in the story who represented them. So they should have been thinking, which one's God and which one's us? But they're, they're so confused. They're like, it, it can't be the landowner because the landowner would never do this. And then Jesus, being the brilliant storyteller he was, takes things to the extreme. And here's what he says. About five in the afternoon, so now there's basically one hour of working daylight left. About five in the afternoon, the landowner went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Now, Jesus knew the answer to this. Everybody in Jesus's audience knew the answer to this because they would go on to say, no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And then I think Jesus just paused and let this settle in on his audience because they're thinking, what is happening? Where in the world is this going? Well, Jesus builds it even further and he continues on. He says, when evening came, so now the disciples, oh, okay. So we're getting closer to the ending of the story and you might be thinking the same thing. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So he's like, hey, get everybody in here. Let's settle up. The day is done. Let's get everybody paid and get everybody home. Let's do that. And I want you to start with the guys who uh, were hired last. I want you to call the guys who were, who were hired at five o'clock, the ones that worked for an hour. They didn't really work for an hour because by the time they got out there and it was probably close to time to coming back. So call the guys who worked 30 to 45 minutes. Now, here's the twist and here's the gist. Here is here is this new value system that Jesus is about to introduce. This is Jesus's way of saying, this is what my father, this is what my father's kingdom is like. And if, if you don't know this story, this is, this is so confusing and this is just, it's, it's just, I don't even know. I don't even know how to describe it, but here's what happens next. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon, they, they'd only worked an hour, came and each received a denarius. Each of them received what the original group was promised. And everybody behind them in the line went wild with joy. Why? Because this can only mean one thing. We're not getting paid a denarius a day. 
we're getting paid a denarius an hour. This is incredible. So when those who uh, came who were hired first, as you can imagine, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And what do you think they did when they received exactly what they agreed to receive based on the hours they agreed to work? Jesus tells us, go on. When they received it, they began to grumble. Not mutter, no, no, no. They began to grumble against the landowner. They responded the same way the people responded who were outside of Matthew's house that we looked at last week. They responded the same way that the people who showed up to the parade early responded when they didn't get to meet Jesus and Jesus put his arm around Zacchaeus and went off to Zacchaeus' house. They muttered, they grumbled, they spoke out against this landowner who hired them. And this is what they said, go on. These who were hired last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us and they are not equal to us. They are... Well, they're not equal to us. Let's just leave it at that, okay? They're not equal to us. We work more hours. We work right through lunch, okay? They're not equal to us, not by any standard, certainly not by our standard. We work through the hottest and the hardest part of the day. We got there early. We stayed till the end. We put in more time, more effort, more energy. They are not equal to us. And this is what the landowner says in response to them. I'm not being unfair to you, friend, to which everybody in Jesus's audience, because they could so relate to the people who had worked the 12-hour workday are thinking, are you kidding me? How is this not unfair? Like by what standard is this fair? And the landowner continues and he says, didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. And then Jesus, through this voice of this landowner, gives us a really big clue into who God is and what his kingdom is like. Are you ready for this? Here's what he says. I want, oh, this is about what you want, not about what we want, right? Yeah, that's right. I want to give the one, well, it's definitely a gift because they certainly didn't earn it. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. And they're, whoa, 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 whoa. You didn't give us anything. We went out there and we earned it. You didn't give us anything. We worked for it. You haven't given us anything. We went out there and we earned it. Right after you gave us a... Right after you gave us a job, I mean, there is that, right? Like this is so brilliant. Still in the parable, the landowner continues and he says this, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? And this is the punchline. This is where the crowd is silent. This is where, this is the convicting. This is the challenging part. This is the point in the story where if they didn't know which one in the story they were and who God was, they're about to figure it out. And in this moment, Jesus is about to illustrate, better yet, Jesus is about to illuminate my hypocrisy when it comes to grace. In this moment, Jesus is about to illustrate the hypocrisy and your tension and your resistance to extending grace to those in your lives who need it most. Jesus is about to shine a big old spotlight on my hypocrisy when it comes to the subject and the nature of grace. In just one sentence, Jesus is about to make it all crystal clear. Are you ready? He says, or he's speaking 
through this landowner, through these made up characters to his audience and then to you and I today? Or are you envious because I am generous? Are you envious? Are you jealous because I'm generous? Well, come on. Are you, are you kidding me? Jealous, envious of, of generosity? How childish is that? How immature is that? How narrow-minded is that? Of course I'm not jealous or envious of generosity. I'm just saying, I think because I work more, I think that I deserve, and Jesus was, are you not envious? Are you not jealous because I am generous? This is so brilliant. Jesus outs all of us because every single one of us in this room, all of you at home, every single one of us views our lives, views relationships, views the world the same way these 12 hour laborers see the world, right? And through this parable, through other parables, throughout Jesus's entire ministry, he invites me, he invites you, he invites all of us to see the world differently to see people differently, to see the people around us differently, to see the kingdom of God differently, to see our relationship with God differently. Jesus is in this moment is trying to explain, Jesus is trying to express to us that the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of heaven can be characterized by unfair generosity. And if the audience couldn't put two and two together, Jesus does the math and he says it as clear as day. He says, so in light of everything I've just said, so the last will be first and the first will be last. And through this parable, Jesus asks me and through this parable, Jesus asks you, can you handle that? Can you handle that? Can you step into that and participate in that? Can you step into a system where the undeserving get exactly what they don't deserve? Will you participate in that? And don't miss this. When you were the first to receive grace, you're more often than not the first to lose sight of grace. Will you give people exactly what they don't deserve because your heavenly father gave you exactly what you don't deserve? Will you participate in this? To which all the prodigal sons in the house say, hallelujah, yes, right? And all the prodigal daughters in the room say, hallelujah, yes. And all the prodigal husbands and fathers who blew up their families and thought God's never gonna hear or answer another one of my prayers says, absolutely, yes. To which all the prodigal wives and mothers who, you know, you know, shirked their responsibility and went off and did something irresponsible and woke up three or four years later thinking, I've, how have I made such a mess of things? I'm never gonna get my life back. I'm never gonna get my family back. Is God good? They say, absolutely, yes. But what do we say when it's not us? What do we say then? It probably sounds a lot like what Matthew said. Matthew, who when the sandal was on the other foot, groaned when he saw a tax collector who was once him be invited and embraced by Jesus. See, grace, when we're on the receiving end, grace is extraordinarily refreshing. But grace, when it's expected of us, when it is required of us, it is extraordinarily disturbing. And Jesus pulls out of this parable and he says, listen, when you begin to understand what my father is like, when you begin to understand what my father's kingdom is like, it is gonna feel like the last actually go first and the first actually go last. It's gonna feel completely unfair because of how you were brought up and raised to measure fair. How do you measure fair? It's probably like we do in my home. Um, we compare to determine 
what's fair, right? We compare to determine what's fair, especially at Christmas. If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about because you create spending limits, don't you? You give each other a spending limit at Christmas. And why do you do that? It's not because you're trying to keep the spending at bay. It's because you don't want there to be an imbalance in your relationship. You don't want one to do more for the other than that one did for the other because it's gonna feel weird and you love me more and you're gonna say, it doesn't, it's not fair. If you have more than one kid at Christmas, what do you do? You get out the receipts and you add them all up. If we spent this much on this kid, we have to spend this much on this kid, even if we have to get them things that they don't need or want because it has to be fair. If you're a grandparent and you have more than one grandchild, right? You're like, preach, preacher. You know what I'm talking about. You do this. You get out the receipts and you add it all up because you compare to determine what's fair. But here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway for you. Here's the takeaway for those of you at home or listening later. Grace doesn't compare. Grace doesn't compare because grace in Jesus is married to truth. And the truth is all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and nobody could pay God back. The kingdom of God, Jesus would say, the good news, Christmas can be summed up in a word and it's our word and it's the word grace. Grace is the undeserved, unearned, unearnable favor of God and grace is an invitation. It's an invitation much like the one Jesus extended to Zacchaeus, much like the one the landowner extended to the day laborers and it's an invitation that goes like this. You are invited. You are invited. You are invited. You're all invited. Everybody's invited. Everybody. The people who showed up at six, the people who showed up at nine, the people who showed up at 12, the people who showed up at three, even the people who showed up at five. Everybody. Everybody's invited. The new betters and did betters, the I didn't know any better, so I didn't do any different than I did. The I knew better, but I did it anyway, people. And I won't ask you to raise your hand because we've all been there and done that, right? We've all been those people. I know that that's right, but I'm not feeling like I'm gonna do it. I know that's wrong, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Those kind of people, right? Everybody's invited, everybody. The people with guilt, the people with baggage, the people with regret, and even the people, here's the kicker, even the arrogant, self-righteous people who judge the people who didn't know better or judge the people who knew better and did it anyway. The people with regret and guilt and shame. Everybody's invited to the kingdom of God and everybody gets in the same way. Not because of who you are, not because of who you are and what you've done, but because of Jesus, because of who Jesus Christ is and because of what Jesus Christ has done. Everybody gets in the same way through the same door by placing our personal faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and trusting. This is it. Trusting that what he has done is what makes us right with God despite how unrighteous we've been and how unfair that sounds. So the question is, I know you want grace because I want grace, but will you extend grace to those in your lives who need it most, not because they deserve it, 
but because you understand that Jesus Christ gave you exactly what you didn't deserve and you become most like him and you most honor him when you do that in the same way that like Jesus, you can embody grace and truth and you can express truth and you can extend grace at the same time because that's what Jesus did for you and he did it for you first. Merry Christmas to all. What does that look like for you this Christmas? I know what it looks like for me. And I don't like it. But I wanted it when I needed it. So I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you this Christmas that as you sit with your family, you sit across the table from the ones who need it the most, don't lose sight of what you've been given because then and only then you might find it in your heart to give it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for the chance to be together today and to look at a famous story that my son loves but is so convicting. It was challenging for Matthew to see that happen and it's challenging for me today and I I know how hard it is at Christmas to sit across from the table from certain people. I know what it's like to to have worked in jobs where there was tension and conflict. I know what it's like to live in broken relationship. And I know that it's difficult to be the one that has to give grace and how easy it is to lose sight of the grace that I've been given. So I just pray for everyone who has heard this message today. And I pray that God somehow, some way, you would remind them of the grace that they have received so that they might find it in their heart to be like you and to give it to those in their lives who need it most. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If you have any questions, you're looking for ways to take your next step, please visit us on our website, bridgechurches.ca. Much love, God bless.